Hi everyone. This episode contains discussion around the topic of sexual assault. This takes place during the section where we talk about Dawn towards the back half of the episode. We wanted to make you aware in case any listeners wanted the option to stop after we discuss Betty or wanted to just check back with us next episode. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week, we're discussing Season 2, Episode 3, The Benefactor, written by Matthew Weiner and Rick Cleveland and directed by Leslie Linka Glatter. This episode originally aired August 10th, 2008. At the box office, The Dark Knight was still the movie that moviegoers both deserved and the one they needed to see right now, coming in at number one. Number two was Pineapple Express, and number three was The Mummy, The Curse of the Dragon Emperor. Uh, Full disclosure, I am still getting used to the new box office mojo setup. Spoiler alert, I don't like it. Um, And I lied to you both last week. Pineapple Express and Sisterhood of the Traveling Baz, no, sorry, the Traveling Pants <laughs> mm-hmm. too, came out this week in 2008, not last week. Sisterhood opened at fourth place, pushing Step Brothers, or as Paul Thomas Anderson likes to call it, Catalina Wine Mixer, from third to fifth place. This is also our final week of Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl at number one, so we'll see you guys next time to talk about what the new number one is. Ooh. So this week on Mad Men, Harry and Betty both get promotions and Don covers his tracks. Mm. This was an episode. Do I say that every week? This was an episode. <laughs> they are episodes every week. <laughs> um, this is the first time that we've ever had uh, Harry Crane get his own category for discussion. <laughs> yeah, so we got I had to promotions learn his full week. name. <laughs> So we see Harry diligently sitting away in his office, grabbing his mail. What happens? Oh, he's got the wrong envelope. Yeah, so this scene comes right after the opening scene where we see, um, I can't even remember his name, like the comic Chips Man do the like bad thing and be awful towards Jimmy him. Barrett? Jimmy Barrett. Jimmy Barrett, his uh, titular benefactor. Um, but I think it's interesting because we see Ken and Freddie um, kind of fumble that interaction, and then we get the scene of Harry opening Ken's paycheck and being like, oh shit, he makes more than me, and you're thinking like, oh, I just saw him fail kind of spectacularly at his commercial shoot. <laughs> well, and I guess that leads me to a question that I was curious to hear both your thoughts on. Now, obviously, Harry Crane, Cosgrove, it's, uh, you know, believable that, you know, the pay stubs or the paychecks or whatever, I guess it'd be the checks themselves, no direct deposit yet, um, would be close together in, in alphabetical order, so that tracks. But do we think Harry would have opened the envelope if it had been anyone else's but Ken's paycheck? Um, or is there something about Ken specifically, do we think? Hmm... I do think that Cosgrove represents a certain ideal that people may think, 
like this ideal masculinity. He's he's shiny and good looking. He's Ryan Gosling. He's like super confident, always able to talk to the ladies. And, you know, even when things go wrong at work, he things seem to just roll right off his back and he keeps on trucking on. I, I assume that he is just the kind of guy where you're like, you have everything, bro. And I don't entirely know if you deserve it or have earned all of it. Or am I projecting? Well, I feel like they, like the group, the junior execs or the Hiller youth or whatever you'd like, um, <laughs> they seem to not take Cosgrove very seriously, but he doesn't seem to take himself seriously either, which like goes into what you're saying where everything that happens just kind of rolls off his back. Um, but I like if this was Pete's paycheck, don't you think Carrie would have been curious? Like, oh, this guy's out here acting like he should have Don's job. Like, he's better than us. Like, I want to know what he's making. Hmm. I think it's definitely conceivable that for the purposes of the drama, like, you could inter- you could almost interchange Ken through any of our, our known characters, whether it's Pete or, or Paul or, or whomever. I'm just like, like Annie was mentioning, it's, 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 Ken is interesting to me in the ways that he's wholly uninteresting, kind of compared to like some of his, his, his cohorts, right? Um, and, and like we don't have really any windows yet into who Ken is aside from work, aside from being a published author, right? Being a creep. We, that yeah. too that that's also but that's athlete, not but like <laughs> exclusive just to ken that's like not even a personality trait at this point <laughs> for sure which again is not me excusing it but no, no, no. it just we don't like he's the one of kind of our our known sterling coup characters that like we haven't a reoccurring ones anyways or main ones however we want to label it that we have don't quite have that same kind of insight to who they are outside of the the office A, and then also outside of their performative masculinity and competitions with each other in that group, right? Because we know mm-hmm. kind of what what Paul is outside of that, you know, with his interactions with with Peggy and Joan. Obviously, we get Harry more in this episode, and you know, obviously Pete and and Sal. We've even seen at home as well with his his. Well, I'm assuming she's new, but, you know, they could have been married a year now, because what happened in 1961? Who knows? Because um, we've seen her at home in the first episode, so... I don't know. Just a question I had. I, I agree that it could have been anyone, but just how the show is using Ken, I find interesting. Like, I think... The more I think about it, the more... I think there they would have found, had different reasons for opening other each other's letters. Like they would probably like like you said, Melissa. They probably would p- open Pete's letter out of, but it would be a different kind of curiosity, maybe more of a sadistic one. Going, let's just see how tough this guy really is. How important is he to this? Well, company? he's not. He makes not at all. Five a week, and they're making two and three hundred. Like how? Did <laughs> Which the is show fabulous. forget that they told us what Pete is making, or is Pete legitimately making that much less than they are? He might just be making that much. That less. was it, that it was two years ago. True. Right? Oh my God, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Is there, okay, so is there anyone that you guys think that they wouldn't 
open the letter of like either out of respect or just like i don't want to know don draper (laughs) yeah yeah i'd probably open rogers i mean they would definitely open uh peggy's because they would need to make sure she's not making more than this which she's only making like thirty dollars a week and this is maybe three hundred i like i feel like i don't know Yes, you're correct. It has been two years. I feel like there's, like, some mistakes in the reporting of these salaries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so if he would have opened, like, Kinsey's and seen that, would he have been as upset? Or is it because he's like, Ken, you're no one. You're not interesting. You're not special. You're not exceptionally good at this job. Like, I feel like there might be... A little more understanding and less I'm gonna call my wife in a huff because I just don't believe this <laughs> I mean it, we haven't seen anything on the show that explains to us why Cosgrove is making more than him or why Pete is making $75 I'm gonna stop <laughs> <laughs> and like Harry, Harry, uh, Harry's wife even refers to Ken as that mannequin <laughs> well it's not like he's getting paid for his good looks I mean, he has an account, so maybe. Uh-huh. He is the one who, he seems to be the one who's meant to handle the people, the personnel. Yeah, but he's bad at it, obviously. True. He should be better at 300 a week. I mean, I think, and we'll get there, but I, I, I think that Jimmy Barrett drinking and then insulting the one of the what are their the Uts people? What are their the names? It starts with an S. Shillings. Shillings. Um, insulting Mrs. Schilling. Um, the implication was that that's because Jimmy and Freddie Rumson went out drinking, and that's why Freddie was like sleeping. So I don't. Mm-hmm. So Ken's error was not you know connecting with Freddie or not realizing you know, how loaded Jimmy Barrett was and then, you know, bringing the clients, the, the titular benefactors, as you say, in, in front of them. But also, Ken did what he was supposed to when they were around the office, went by Don's office to let them know they were there, and Don was out at, at the movies, and, you know, that has implications for Lois we can talk about later in the episode. So I think there's lots of blame to go around oh yeah for sure Mm -hmm. i mean we just see that like ken is not particularly um what's the word i'm looking for like he's not one to seemingly like think outside of the box and make sure the job gets done like he went by don's desk don wasn't there so he was just like all right well let's just go to the set it's not like he took the initiative to say like oh let's do some other activity that doesn't involve you seeing a drunk comedian (laughs) Yeah, he's not an exceptional worker to sort of justify the exceptional salary, I guess I mean, say. no spoilers on Lois, but, like, that's what she got fired for, was not creative problem-solving in basically the same situation. And Ken's out here getting paid the most. Fair. Flippin' Ken. Flippin' Ken. That mannequin. That ideal that they all hold themselves up to in their performative proverbial member measuring contest ken cosgrove the, the titular kendall 
Um, so would we say that there's not much loyalty among these men, that it's all a constant competition and their friendship is built on a tenuous, like, construct of what friendship is, which is bullshit? Oh, yeah. I mean, we see them every once in a while. They start slipping out of friendship. Speaking of friendship, what do, <laughs> what did we think of Sal's advice to Harry, right? So there's that nice bit of comedy where Harry just gets in his own way, like, and rips the envelope he can't fix it tries it another one and just it's it's like a very entertaining scene for me and frustrating at the same time so he goes to sal looking for a new envelope um and sal gets out of him what what he did so harry tells him and then sal says there's nothing you can do that's why you don't tell your wife sal is all about like keeping your head down that's still succeeding in life <laughs> somehow i mean yeah, we've definitely seen some allusions to why Sal's not interested in sharing with his wife um, problems that can't be solved. Mm-hmm. But in a healthy reality, um, those are even more so the problems you should be sharing with your significant other because those are the type of things that are going to weigh on you. That, you know, if there's no, uh, you, it's harder to get over a pro- problem when you can't solve it. So if there's nothing you can do about it, the only thing you could do would be to vent and share it. So Mm -hmm. I understand why Sal gives this advice, but at the same time, I'm like, no, you're like overly chatty thing you're doing with your wife now is probably the better track. But when he was like, you told your wife about this, Harry was like, I do that. Like, I keep doing that. I keep doing (laughs) these bad things and I keep telling my wife. He's basically like, I can't help myself. Yeah, Sal's not, uh, I don't think Sal can even really comprehend that because, I mean, as soon as he lets his wife see, you know, see even a little of who the person is, then I imagine it'd just be really hard to keep up the facade that they're a happily married couple. But, I mean, Harry and Jennifer actually, despite the fact that he super cheated on her, seem to be mostly okay, at least on the relative scale of Mad Men. Well, they're definitely doing better. Um, yeah, they're one of like I. They're, are they the healthiest couple we've seen portrayed on Mad Men? No, I mean it, it was. It's kind of telling that when she call he calls her on the phone and it's just like I'm upset and she's like immediately her reaction is what did I do? Yeah. So speaking of midsummer, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, you have in the notes, Annie, like. Um, a little heartbreak emoji about that reaction. I didn't really take it that way when watching the episode. I took it um, more like he said, you know, you told me to tell you whenever I was upset. And so she's immediately like, oh, my God, what did I do? But I took it as like she told him, hey, buddy, if there's ever a time where you think that, like, you might want to cheat on me because you're upset about something, let's talk about that instead. And so I don't, I like, my initial read was that she wasn't asking him to alert her to any fluctuation in his mood throughout the day. It was, like, this <laughs> specific type of upset that was going to cause her deep emotional pain and problems in the future so when he said that she was like oh god what and he said no 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 not that and i just imagined her be like oh my god <laughs> what <laughs> what a scan of worms i've opened <laughs> yeah now he wants to share his feelings but no like you're right in that her the her first reaction being what did i do like mm, yeah 
Yeah. We don't like it. Yeah. It's not great. But she's still pretty awesome. I mean, she after is. all, she did take him back. She's having his baby. And she's such a, again, like Trudy, such a supportive wife. Uh, yeah. and I thought In a was, really healthy way. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that she was like, oh, I don't care about the money. Like, I just wanted you to stick up for yourself. To ask for mm-hmm. your, you know, you found out this thing that made you feel bad. And now I want you to take a step to make yourself feel better. And, like, he did it. And she was like, great, I'm proud of you. The money's yeah. great, but what I really wanted was for, like, you to stick up for yourself. I did, uh, just to go back to your original read of that moment, it, she does says, I, it, I didn't know, what was it? I didn't know uh, this, if this is about, oh, sorry. If this is about you feeling sorry for yourself, I'm hanging up. <laughs> it's like, good, boundaries, cool, great, yeah. wonderful, That's perfect. Good. So how do we feel about the uh, Harry trying to make himself useful to the to the company and then asking for a raise matt yeah matt where you at where am i at i'm deciding how to titrate my own personal experience on a publicly available podcast for download on the internet (laughs) it's reads true to me the way that how you get a raise in a lot of different fields is by asking for it and having like showing your proof and showing your worth why you deserve it. It's 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 not necessarily about the hours you put in or the job you do. I mean that keeps you the job that whatever your current rate of of compensation is. Um, but in terms of promotion or um, raises which as a public servant are a foreign concept to me, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, it's, it's about kind of putting yourself out there and then asking for it and kind of that rewarding, kind of that coded masculine risk-taking, which is what Harry does, and then he is to a certain degree rewarded with. Um, my... That whole exchange between him and Roger is it's it's a it's a fun scene and um, John Slattery who plays Roger is I think very good at it in his like Rogeriness which is I think kind of why you kind of overlook well the show wants us to overlook some of his 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 worst moments because um, Roger can be a fun character um, but yeah I, I I'm really curious if Roger actually doesn't know. What not to go back to the Ken thing, but to go back to the Ken thing, if he doesn't know that how much Ken makes, or if he knows how much Ken makes, and when he tells Harry, no one here makes three hundred dollars a week, is that just him like negotiating? And Harry's like, you know, mouses down a bit, so he's just gonna be happy with whatever he gets, or is Roger just that clueless to what goes on in his own company that he doesn't think anyone makes what Ken makes? I don't know. It could go either way and not really change. I guess it kind of changes the scene, but. But both would check out for Roger. No, yeah. totally, right? I mean, there's no way to even guess, which is how likely either of those scenarios are. Yeah. I did like, though, that uh, Roger had to be like, You're Harry Crane, right? <laughs> They've been in the room together multiple times on the show. <laughs> and again, it could be, it's the same thing, right? With Roger, it could be either way. He could be like, Doing that is like a very smart, you know, negotiation kind of, you know, technique to keep Harry on his toes where it's like, 
wait, I don't actually know who you are. Or it could be like Roger just needling, like needling him, or maybe he doesn't actually know. Like that's either read is like, I think totally plausible. Was this part of his Howard Stark audition? Oh, that's right. Yes, it is. Um, one last thing about Harry before we move on is um, I rolled my eyes at this when because <clears throat> we see him be like, oh, I need to bring Merit to the company. What can I do? He calls his friend. He gets the idea about getting a sponsor for this TV episode that no one else wants to sponsor. And he's really trying to sell Bill Jolie on it. And they're saying, like, every woman is going to watch this. They're going to be watching it so they're not left out. They're going to be watching it, um, you know. Because there's controversy. Controversy. Like, every woman is going to be watching this. Young women are going to be watching this. And then when he's talking to his wife about it, she's like, what show? And he's like, nah, don't worry about it. You won't like it. Like, oh, yeah, every single woman, everyone's going to watch it except for not not good enough for your wife or <laughs> flipping Harry. Yeah. Which I mean, that's how like all advertising works and how all men in this show and world work. But I did think it was funny that it's like, cool, cool, cool. Like you really have no scruples because you don't think that this program is good enough for your wife to watch, but you'll literally like promote the show to like one of your clients whose main you know, target audience is also your wife. Sounds about right. There's a lot of hypocrisy that just weaves its way through the entire show and the office. Plus, let your wife decide what she likes for herself. She's too busy uh, knitting things for their Chinese baby. I, 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 I did not get that. <laughs> I assumed it was a sm- it was really small, and they were making just like a comment about I don't know Chinese people being smaller. Baby foot size? I don't know. They're all tiny as hell. Okay, oh, because of maybe maybe because of like the, the foot binding. binding. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Is it was that yeah. probably worse? It's not better. <laughs> it's not a great reference. It's it's joking about like. Cultural mutilation of young girls is generally not great joke material. We don't love it. No. Not great, Bob. No, no. The casual nature of it, too, isn't a good look for our Harry Crane. Or our writers. But Uh. presume... If you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, it's another instance of of them going, Hey, remember when we used to say, like, really casually racist things like this? And now in 2020, people are, st- you know, are starting to acknowledge that. No, we still talk like this, guys. <laughs> no, no, you're talking about. Yeah. <sighs> There's going to be a lot of sighing in this episode, I can tell. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess we can move on. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's hop on our horse and go to the stables and hopefully not ruin them for the next person. Um, Insert so, Old Town Road audio. <laughs> so, Betty, how did we feel about Betty this week? Probably the same way I feel about Betty most weeks. Just, like, mostly on her side, but also deeply confused. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a fair read. I mean, what makes me mad... It doesn't make me mad. I love the show. What 
makes me shake my head at myself and maybe like need to interrogate some things a little closer is how often I deeply want Betty to make bad choices like because I'm out here seeing Don making bad choices like we'll get to it but like you know mid-episode she has an opportunity to like you know kiss a decently cute boy who seems like real interested in her and like you know not a superficial way and she doesn't do it and for like one hot second I was like oh Betty why though <laughs> just do it just kiss <laughs> just kiss the boy and then I'm like Lizzo, why are you advocating for married women to kiss boys in stables who are also engaged like, oh. can't even ride horses are also engaged and like are basically doing trophy husband training yeah uh, I'm fairly certain I have seen this book on shelves many times before <laughs> unhappy marriage cute boy in the stable lady chatterley's not james spader but could be james spader lookalike james spader with the de-aging uncanniness um okay so another thing before we get deep into the archie of it all um how many times at the old stables do we think that we are going to hear betty and her friend talk about how fat their young daughters are every uh, time? probably every time I'm cool. going to say every time. Excellent. Just prepare for it, I think. <laughs> I the, don't remember for sure, but I'm going to say <clears throat> I have a strong feeling about this. Like, they're awful. It's not good. And you know that they had, they were on the receiving end of the same thing, too, when they I were know. growing up. And that's just sad. But also, don't you, you just really want to be feel? mad at them. Don't you want to make your daughters feel better than that? Nope. They're told that that's how you show someone you love. There's even a part where uh, where Betty is showing Arthur how to stop the horse from eating grass. Mm. And she gives, like, the reins a, a good tug. And what does he say? Mm. Aren't you worried about hurting her? Something you don't think for effect? one minute you're hurting her. And she says she needs to be told what to do. That's her being a firm, good mother in her mind. Yeah. And I don't know enough about horses to say they do or do not need to be told what to do. But when you layer it on top of, you know that Betty is, this is how she feels about, like, her daughter and maybe even herself. You're just like, oh, maybe horseback yeah. riding isn't the best hobby for you. <laughs> maybe it's not the healthiest outlet and you know that that same attitude has been passed on generations since then it's tragic yeah it is um speaking of the dance recital and the leotard um that's why betty's not taking the kids riding on saturday right like she was originally going to she told them that they would and then she realized that she would have the opportunity to be at the stables alone with Archie. So mm -hmm. she was like, oh, I ain't bringing these kids. That's what happened, right? Oh, 100%. She was just way too defensive about being like, nope, I, no. I said no. And he said no. Which we did get a cute little bit of, like, nice team parenting. <laughs> she yes. was like, your dad's going to agree with me. You could just see her, like, eyes bulging. No? no question mark on his face 
<laughs> yes, he responded while looking at her, waiting for the right answer. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree that Betty wants to keep the stable world for her. The stable world, the stables, and the, the show jumping for her for herself as it's like her thing. Um, and I totally could get sold on the idea that like it is an Archie, aka not James Spader, but looks like James Spader situation. But like part of me wonders too if it's because it's a place she can just be Betty. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have to be mom or the Mrs. Draper that, you know, the two versions of, of professional work Mrs. Draper that she, she asks Don which one she should be at the, the dinner later in the episode. Um, and maybe just being Betty is part of, like, you know, being able to afford herself the, like, you know, flirtations with Archie or not. So, like, that that could definitely be part of it, and I could, I could totally buy that. Um, but I kind of, like, there was this, during their kind of exchange on the Saturday, I had this thought, and I wondered if, like, Archie was prep school Don, because the way mm -hmm. he's, like, looking at Betty and going you're so tragically sad or impossibly sad or you're just so, like, sad. Like, I see you. You're so sad. But, but like, I was, like, adamant about it. And, like, it kind of reminded me of, like, of Don talking to Rachel Mankin last season where it's, like, you see me, you know me. And, yeah, it was an, a little bit of, like, flipping that around because it was about the, hey, I'm seeing you, not the you see me. But it felt almost as prescriptive because it's, like, he doesn't really know her and like we know her and we're like yeah okay that would totally track because you know of whatever's gone on but i just i don't i don't know if betty knows how she feels about things and where she stands and so i can i can definitely agree with that but i just the way archie was just like following following her around and she's like no dude i'm fine i'm like nordic or whatever and just <laughs> him, like i'm it's whenever like you and especially when it's you know like relationship or potential relationship sort of like context whenever you have cis men specifically prescribing an emotional state or how someone should perceive it or what they should be feeling on someone else i definitely think it's worth clocking especially in this show so i agree that yes that's a really good point Shout out, um, Betty, because when he's like, you're just so profoundly sad, and she's like, no, I'm really not. Don't tell. Yeah. Like, she might be, and I would buy it if she was, but I love that she was like, no. Not me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she likes being told how she feels by someone, especially someone who doesn't really know her. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting, like the what you were talking about, Matt, and the way he's just prescribing all these thoughts to her and everything, and how she seems to see this world as her own special place, where she just gets to be Betty. Betty in the real world also is kind of an object, and she's objectified. She's a tool. We see her later be that for Dawn, and she enjoys it. But she's supposed to be Dawn's, you know, that's her husband. They're supposed to be a team, whatever. He's supposed to be able to use her and she's supposed to be able to help her husband. But this is a guy that 
she doesn't know because I was kind of like thrown almost by how quickly she turns it around when he starts talking to her and I kind of understood it but now I'm just seeing this as him objectifying her but like on an emotional level she's an, she's an she's still an object but it's not a physical attraction thing because he's got this beautiful beautiful fiance who's just as gorgeous as as Betty and it's like immediately she doesn't want to be the the emotional trophy either and that's why she's shutting down does that make sense yeah it totally does and i could see why she would be turned off by um what am i going for like i was <laughs> i i got kind of hung up on um archie talking about his fiance saying like oh she does have everything like she has all these needs um, that can be met anywhere. Um, and he's basically saying, like, oh, this girl here, Betty, like, you have needs that you could need me to meet. But I wonder if at that point Betty is feeling any, like, kinship with his fiance, And that's also why she's kind of turned off by hmm. this. Because she's like, totally. I'm also the girl who has everything. Like, I was a model and... You know, Don swept me off my feet with, like, a fancy fur coat, and I live in this beautiful house with my two, like, perfect children. And, like, yeah, someone could say that I have everything, too, except for I have all these needs that I can only get met by my husband who ignores me, and, like, now you're going to be doing that same thing to, like, your pretty young wife who, like, could have been me in, like, another universe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I wonder, too, if her not engaging um, in this kind of showing of, of attention and affection, like, is a, is a potential, like, milestone or marker for, like, how far Betty has come since we, we met her in season one? Um, because when we met her in season one, she was willing to engage in the innocence chivalry attentions of a 10 year old ish boy who thought she was sad and wanted to you know be there for her and she unfortunately entertained it and engaged it because of where she was in her life and her relationship and whatever and while i don't think she's in a great spot relationship wise with her marriage now um Maybe her rebuffing it is like a marker of, of progress from where she was in 1960 in season one, or maybe it's just the perceived danger level is different when it's a 20 something or, you know, just a little boy that's being nice to you. I don't, I don't know. I could, I could be sold either way, but something that occurred to me too. Like, you mean kind of as if she was seeing it play out with that pseudo intimacy of a relationship but that young man still a young man but obviously one who's slightly more legal an adult yeah yeah <laughs> no i just been being like what she did with the expression of like i don't want to say just like attention that makes it like seem like it's it's pettier than i necessarily believe it to be but the kind of like it's like a like a pseudo intimacy that yeah. can't be real because he's not emotionally equipped as a 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah. 
it's almost like the they're both having both Betty and Art they're having this kind of uh uh oh shoot Ruby Sparks sort of situation or did you guys ever see Ruby Sparks with um Paul Dano and what's his partner's name no so it's it's yes it is a uh i believe zoe kazan kazan wrote it and she starred as ruby sparks it's kind of like a play of the mary sue thing he create he writes this character who's like the perfect woman perfect girlfriend and she's everything he wants but because she kept keeps being like has to be a real person and all these characteristics that he creates come together and she starts developing like independent thought and desires and wanting to like also have other um you know interest in her life and growing out and it would just always be not just a disappointment to the point where he was often really angry about it and it climaxes whatever it's almost i'm what what point was i trying to make with that it's almost like he wants her to like his fiance is not that person that he thought he would be you know the perfect beautiful rich fiance still not getting what he wants so he's finding someone else similar to be to fill that ruby sparks kind of role and she's looking for someone to be that dashing flirtatious paying attention to her person whether it's the kid or that's a hot guy but then it turns out oh he's actually kind of gross and this is real and i don't like it anymore that's what i'm thinking of right now yeah you, you like the idea of air conditioning salesman but you're gonna tell him no but then think about him after mm-hmm like, yeah, like in season one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's all the fantasy, but then faced with the reality of it, it's all very terrible. Because <laughs> if it's with you know the, with Glenn, there's always going to be a barrier. Well, presumably there's a going to be a barrier there, either the legality of it, the ethics of it, or at least Glenn's mom. But when it's with like an adult man, even though he's like only twenty three. Between uh, the air conditioning guy and this and her refusing this guy, there's is it just me or in both instances, there almost seemed to be like a moral superiority to the way she turned him down. Like, I'm better than this. How dare you even suggest that we would have some affair, even though she was playing into it for a little bit? Or am I misremembering it? No, I feel that way. Like, she, with the... um. With the air conditioning man, it was like she decided, I think, and I'm putting a lot on her, like, um, internal thoughts and feelings that we maybe don't get. But, like, with the air conditioning guy, it felt more like, no, I'm making a choice uh, out of loyalty to my husband. Like, you can't come in our bedroom. You shouldn't be in our house. Like, my husband would rather go to the store and get an air conditioner if that jackass ever gets me one. That's not what we're going there. I'm still bitter at Dawn for making Betty be hot and not get to have any sex in season one. All right. Anyway. Um. <laughs> so that was this season. You mean the the season episode one when they went for their hotel date? He does it all the time. <laughs> Touche. Touche. In season Touché. one where he's like, oh, Betty, it's hot in here. And she's like, we could get an air conditioner. He's like, I can't, no money. Oh. But it's because he was sending it, whatever. We don't have to rehash the whole <laughs> So that choice felt more, like, out of loyalty to, like, Dawn. This choice felt more out of, like, loyalty to herself. Like what you're saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm not yep. scooping to your level. Um, you can't even ride a horse. 
Yeah, don't tell me how to feel. Hard agree. Or what to feel. <laughs> if you can't keep this horse in line, you definitely can't. <laughs> Did we want to touch on the uh, Utz dinner with the Barretts and the Schillings? It was painful. It was. It was not great. Um, most of what I have to say about that is more in relation to Dawn, so... Mm-hmm. I will say about Jimmy, I will give him this tiny, tiny, tiny bit of credit. He knew his cues when Bobby looked at him and like barely even looked at him, but he just knew this is where I apologize. And it was actually a fairly reasonable apology. It was a it was a decent apology, although he went for the joke there right at the very end, which felt unnecessary. But yeah, but probably about as Jimmy Barrett as it's going to get. But yeah. and at least it was. Um physical comedy and not something he was gonna say <laughs> yeah i feel like they've rehearsed this apology before i mean because she said bobby has something that he would like to say and he just goes oh yep mm-hmm. i uh was out here trying to get twenty five hundred dollars for an apology but i guess i'll just uh spell one off for free here we go that's all i will give him because otherwise he was terrible he was gross and unpleasant and i didn't like him yeah cosine so Don makes all this happen somehow. Uh, normally, you're always complaining, Melissa, about how he's like a great guy <laughs> for about 85% of the show. And then at the end, son of a bitch. No, it was a hundred. He was fine. I literally, I texted Matt this and I was like, I'm getting so good at predicting Don's shitty behavior patterns. <laughs> Because in the last episode, I was like, oh, Don was fine. I bet next episode he's going to be straight up trash the whole time. Oh, look. Yep. Look what happened. Straight up trash. Um, He did skip work to go to a movie, though, which I find super relatable. <laughs> Still lounging with his arm along the back, just like the opening credits. His iconic move. sick right there in the movie theater. What a dream. Those were the days. Uh, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts is when Cosgrove was like, I came to tell you that the shillings were here, but you weren't in the office and Lois had no idea how to find you. And you could just see that look on Don's face as everything just sort of concentrated into the center of this general, ah, shit, mm-hmm. kind of look. And there was no getting out of it, but he just still kind of moved past it. Move along, move along, everybody. Well, yeah, right Right when he realized that, like, he was the uh, the weak link in this here scenario that played out today, like, everybody failed, but Don also failed, and he straight up was at the movies, so uh, my notes say, Don is about to be like, not my circus, not my monkeys, but then he's like, oh, fine. <laughs> I will talk to them. He, like, lays out his whole plan. But I think Roger knew. Like, I think Roger mm-hmm. knew that Don had been fucking off instead of going to work because he is immediately like, Don is going to fix this. And it's just like, uh, like the IQ that we were talking about, um, Bobby giving Jimmy about the apology. Roger was definitely telling Don, like, don't really care what you think. You're definitely fixing this. Mm-hmm. 
on doesn't I didn't write it down, but now I'm just trying to like remember back in the episode. Doesn't Roger say something to Don about like speaking with Lois as being part of that prescription to like make things right? Like, doesn't he? Maybe I'm misremembering. Mm. I feel like Roger says something to Don about talking to Lois or or you know dealing with quote unquote that situation. I think you're right, but I don't remember enough to like clarify. Yeah. I have about as much of it as you do. <laughs> yeah. And Don does uh, take some of it out on Lois. Poor Lois, who's trying so hard. He says he, uh, how do we feel about this uh, little professional breakup here, sending her back to the to the switchboard? Ugh, I mean, at least she didn't get completely fired from the company, but at the same time, it's like she was doing her job with all of the abilities that you like, she was doing her job. You didn't tell her where you were going, and you're shady, and she did her best. So, like, she should not have been fired. This is terrible. Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Because, uh, and he just takes it out on her, even when she's like, I tried covering for her, covering for you, and she he gets mad at her for even, like, putting it like that. Like, no, 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 you're not covering for me. I have nothing to hide. So can I read the exact line? I just looked it up because it's a line I like. You don't cover for me. You manage people's expectations. That is such an advertising man thing to say. Right? But I like it totally is. But but like I part of why I like I like it so much. Again, not the behavior, but as the quote, as it kind of like encapsulates so much of one like you have so much like performativeness when you like straight up stole someone's identity and are trying to be this other version of yourself or like and the other line i really like from this episode is something that that bobby says to don when he throws together this whole like dinner that we referenced a little bit that we'll get into here where it's like i like being bad and going home and being good and then just those two things together like really like encapsulate so much of i think what the show is but who don is specifically right mm. so I, I I feel incredibly terrible for Lois and then she's just again she's just trying and, and, and doing her best and I also thought it was interesting when Joan was like oh do you want us to find you another Peggy and then Don says no I want someone who'll be content in this job or something yeah. like that and it's just like well, I, yeah, I have, it's, I have uh, it's a lot yeah he says somewhere something about like no I want someone who has happy with the job who's happy with that job but here's the thing, Don, people who are smart enough and have the, like, ingenuity to do what you're asking someone to do at your desk isn't going to be happy with that job. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it works. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's like when the company that I worked for wanted to hire admin at $11 an hour and then give them work that they deserved like $20 an hour for. I was like, see, here's the thing. People who are smart enough to do what you want them to do are not going to accept that little amount of dollars. Learn the lesson. <laughs> yeah. He was being exceptionally asshole in this one, and I wasn't a f- fan of Don this time. Well, and it's totally an extension of what he did last week, though, too, right? Where, like, he has a setback of their personal or, like, professional, where he's, like, back on his heels in a bad mood and then like 
he kind of lashes out at Pete and sends him right back into like Duck's arms last week. Whereas this, he's like, you know, covering up for his own failing, his own mistake. Yeah. So then, you know, someone else is in the in the Lois is in the firing line, mm-hmm. right? And I hate how he's he tells her he doesn't see a point in trying not to be cruel. You're like, what good? What good does it actually serve? Especially considering, like, sure, maybe she has like fallen from uh, or fallen short of expectation a few times, but she's there because of him and his crap. And he just was like, I, I just really didn't see the point of him being so cruel to her because he mm-hmm. was just that cold look and everything she said he threw right back at her. And like, dude, I know that you're like taking it out on yourself right now but you don't have to throw it onto her too i got really caught on him saying like oh it's nice to see that you care about something why should she have to care about shit you don't you didn't even show up for work today (laughs) and she does care she cares so much yeah she cares enough to be entertaining this conversation for as long as she did and i think that that's saying something (sighs) so i mean that puts joan back um like at dawn's desk which i think is interesting so hopefully that goes somewhere one hopes but now she's balancing a lot of different plates all at once ah she got it she got it (laughs) there's a reason why she's the queen bee but this is what i'm saying like if Joan and Peggy are successful people, successful Don secretaries. I mean, there's a reason you can't keep people in this job. People who are smart enough to do it don't want to. Like, <laughs> Well, it is an interesting thing, too, because presumably all their secretaries are going to be women. All their potential secretaries are going to be women. And there's not exactly much farther up to go. Mm-hmm. Other than, like, Jones level, well, now they've, like, broken that one barrier. The You know, the seal's broken and Peggy's made into the copywriting pool. But it's really just, like, Joan or married or both. Or yeah. stay there. Yeah. Hmm. Like, moving deeper into uh, this whole Jimmy situation, when Don goes to talk to... Bobby, Jimmy's wife, about the apology. Like, she gives him this list of things that he would need to do in order to get Jimmy to apologize before saying, basically, like, it ain't going to happen. But one of those things is that, like, oh, he needs to believe that he has a shot with your girl or your wife. And he's like, oh, my wife. And that is why Don invites betty to this dinner and that is why he tells her he needs to be charming which is driving me up the forking wall when i was watching this because he's telling her to do the exact thing that he yelled at her for doing with roger which is being polite at dinner because he didn't want roger to get the idea that he had a chance with betty which obviously he did get that idea because he like put a move on her but like it was just so frustrating that for one, like, now you're using this thing that you have already vilified her for doing. Now you're using it as a pawn in your own game. So, like, that's fucked up. And also, like, th- being nice to someone at dinner should not make them think that they could 
fuck you. <laughs> like, women should be allowed to be out in the world and be polite to people and have people mind their business. Like, this whole thing was so frustrating, and obviously the whole thing is frustrating, the whole episode. But just this, like, tiny little thing about, like, oh, I can make him think that he has a shot with my wife because my wife is a nice person and will be polite to him if I give her permission. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, a lot of things seem to do about, depend largely on Don's mood. But I do feel like this is something that's more common than what happened with Roger. With Roger, it was something so much more personal. Roger's going through his uh -huh. stuff, and then he was also really insecure compared to Roger at the time. So, I mean, it is going to be dependent on, like, how emotional men can be sometimes. But right. I do think this thing actually happens more often. Maybe the fact that Betty actually, they, they talked about it more explicitly, and so kind of almost making her more of an equal partner in this game, in this team, is yeah, what makes it different, or at least for her. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, <clears throat> this is what I about Betty that I wanted to talk about in this section because um, you know we had in the notes and haven't covered it yet uh, when the, the last scene with them when she says like when I said I wanted to be a part of your life this is what I meant like we make a great team and uh, Matt you asked in the notes like if we believed her or you know if she believed that herself I'm like yeah I do believe that she does believe that they make a great team I'm just mad because they're not on an equal playing field. Like, mm -hmm. she's not a full co-conspirator in this. She thinks they make a great, great team, but really he was just manipulating her and not telling her the full story. And, like, that's really frustrating to me to see her be so happy and just knowing that on top of, like, all the Dawn shit that he normally does, he also did this, which was, like, play on something that he knew she wanted um, in a way that made her feel like they were 100% on the same team when, like, we know that they're not. Mm -hmm. Like, I was happy that she was happy, but it it didn't, it felt very false. Ugh. As for men thinking that a woman wants him or that he has a chance just because she's just being nice, well, sadly, a thing that still happens. And as a woman who works in the health professionals where there are Ooh. many men, I assure you, <laughs> it still happens. Wow, yeah. you got this thing for me that I, that I needed. We should go out to dinner. Like, cool. No, I do that for fucking everyone, dude. Don't yeah. touch me. Yeah. Literally, hands off my yeah. shoulders. In this... Anyway. I think that that's maybe why I'm getting so stuck on this. Because this is something that I have experienced in, like, past relationships. Oh, how dare you talk to someone so friendly. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just... I'm a nice person. Like, I'm in a good mood today. Like, sorry. I was, like, overly sunshiny to, like, a normal person. Oh, they're gonna think they have a chance with you. Well, that's not my fucking problem, is it? Yeah, you don't control their thoughts, and so much of it seems to be dependent on this the, the this person's insecurities, which is not your fault either. <laughs> yeah, friggin' Don, 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 who sits in that who offers a ride to Bobby after there's all that like I fucking uh, in the studio. And she goes for it with him, and he tells her, I don't want to do this. And she reaches down his pants and says, doesn't feel that way. And yeah, he fights real hard after that, huh, to, to not partake as they get down in the car in the pouring rain on a public street. Ugh. Don. It's like one of his moves, hey? 
Like, remember when he first kissed Rachel? Ugh. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then, yeah. Because he really does like, like thinking I... he's that guy who's going to say no and push away. Which Betty actually does. Cause, so it can be done. <laughs> just long suffering sighs. Yeah, our relationship with Don is just one giant sigh. I'm just so. What it appears, and I mean, we'll we'll keep watching the season and 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 see how this 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 manifests. But looking at kind of how season one was structured and how it looks like season two is is shaping up because it's definitely in some ways felt like um more of a like a kind of hin like a like a setting things up plotty episode whereas like the first two did that a bit but they're more getting us caught up and you know blah 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 this is kind of moving us towards the the middle um if bobby is this season's Rachel Macon in like this is the main kind of affair storyline with with Don that we're we're following. Um, I'm looking for ways she's like similar to or different from Rachel and or Midge in the same ways that I'm looking at Duck as being set up as the this year's rival as like Pete saw himself a bit as as the rival last season. Um, but to like. <laughs> Not that it's a great look to compare two women against each other, but they're characters on the show, so I'm going to anyways. Um, I think Bobby has Don figured out in a way that Rachel didn't or couldn't based on who Don was being and what Don was showing her. Do we agree or disagree with that statement? The more I think about it and about what these women have in common the more I think about like the the more that it's occurring to me that they do have a, a common thread, the less good of a look it is for Don because these are women who are fairly self assured. They know themselves, they're very self possessed. Bobby is clearly one in control when when it comes to Jimmy, who's considered this loose cannon comedian, but when he needs to pl- come to play, you know, he's taking after Bobby's lead. Rachel's the one who didn't really need to get married. She's just running this company, even though she'd like to not be so lonely. And you've got Midge, who's just like free will and fun loving. But there's something to like these women who quote unquote don't need men suddenly needing Don. And I'm starting mm-hmm. to really see that that's possibly what he gets off on. It's it's the ego and the control. It's like they don't they don't need anyone, but they need me, or I or I can see them, or I can give them something that they've never had before, never like it's it's yeah no I yeah. I'm picking up what you're laying it's, down. It's it's Betty looking so totally fine and enjoying herself and in control at the with her of her horse of her magnificent horse, but only one person can see how profoundly sad she is. I don't like it. I don't like it either. Do you know what else I don't like? Just Don in general, but like the the specific way in which we officially know that at least he washed his hands when he got home. Yeah, that part was gross. Gross. That was super gross. It's like the first <laughs> thing he does. He doesn't touch his children. He just was. He does take off his shoes. Waltzes in. Wash the hands. Ugh. 
And like, and uses a hand soap for yes. yeah with Ugh. dish soap. What the heck is wrong with you, Don? Just like a teenager who spoke to Jay and didn't want anyone to notice, using that hand soap as mouthwash. <laughs> um, don't think it ever really worked when teenagers did that, but they think it does because they're high. Um, yeah, no good, very My bad. Don't do notes it. Said Don. Period. In all caps. Also in all caps. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Period. <laughs> Mine's just like ew. The end. The end of the notes. <laughs> That's pretty much all you ever need to say about what Don gets up to. Ugh. And it's just so weird to think about how back then, when the show first aired in 2007 and then 2008, how he quickly became adopted as this like ideal man, and he's Jesus just flawed. Christ. I was like, oh, he's just flawed, just like a lot of people, but that's why we like him, because he's this anti-hero. It's like, no, I don't think we're supposed to like anything that he does at all. Like, any of it. None of it. Zero of it. Just blanket, stop this man from everything. So, quick sidebar, if I may. So, I, when, as you both know, I have big physical media person. I have the Blu-rays for each season, right? Uh-huh. So, on the first on the first disc of season two... It auto plays. It's like a Tide ad or something like that. But when I first put it in, I didn't remember that it was a Tide ad. So what it's what I thought it was was like the starting of like the menus because sometimes they can be you know complex or whatever. And it's it's a it's like it's super zoomed in on lipstick on a collar, but you don't know what that is at first. And it pans out, and then it, it shows you eventually that it's lipstick on a collar, and it's on this nice Presley white shirt, kind of like a la Dawn in season one. And then it come then like some text comes on like it's a typewriter, and it says getting ad men out of of either admin or guys or something like that out of hot water since like the 1960s and it's like a, a tight ad on the madman blu-ray huh hmm ah. I yeah it's bad real bad I mean I know I sound real self-righteous on this podcast and so anybody who like knew me in college is gonna listen to this and be like Melissa you piece of shit <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> If I would have been watching this at a time in my life when, like, I could have found myself being unfaithful in relationships, like, I'd probably be singing a different tune. <laughs> like, I have put those behaviors away, and I'm not married. It's just, like, the way that, like, with that ad specifically and kind of, like, which I think is indicative of kind of, like, how this show is kind of viewed in its contemporary time and then in, like, retrospect too where it's like yeah it could be kind of like you know that's kind of a, a interesting kind of you know you can tell where they were going for for humor and, and, and things like that but it just is another example of like the systemic inequality and, and that's where I think individuals and people can be complex and have their own motivations good bad and different for how people behave how they behave right that's one thing but when you're looking at a show like Mad Men where you, where you see so much of it on display and a kind of an, an exploration of that, it's, I think, interesting in the ways that the exploration also then perpetuates the same, you know, systemic inequalities that it is also commenting on, right? Um, so that's where I think it's a little bit different than just a individual person's complexity based on you know who they were in college or, or whatever right but no yeah 
I don't know. I don't have a cohesive thesis on that. <laughs> it's okay. I think you have some time to work on it. And then there we go. What, like seven seasons or something? Um, did we want to talk about the uh, what happens mid-dinner before Jimmy apologizes? The uh, coercion scene, as Annie has it here in the notes. Uh, you mean when Don should have washed his hands again? Yes. Ew. I mean, that's just kind of... I'm done with Don Draper. <laughs> a lot of that I was just kind of, uh, to me, just kind of ties into the whole taking down these powerful women thing that is a theme I'm increasingly uncomfortable with, or at least don't want to have to watch. Because <sighs> Bobby is presented as someone who is in charge from the way she speaks, the way she's like a little bit older than someone like Betty, at least. The way she is in control of her loose cannon husband. But, oh, one little move from Don, and she's eating out of the palm of his hand, doing whatever he wants. It's, 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 and I think one of you mentioned it before, maybe I'm just looking at the word. It's, it's a power trip, isn't it? It's just, it's just a power move. It's Mm -hmm. dominance. It's not, it's. The driving force between behind a lot of other things like sexual assault and everything, a lot of it rarely ever actually about sex. It's all about winning. Um, I don't know if you guys saw like other stuff in that scene or if like me you wanted to look away. I think it's interesting to me how much like in context and and like watching the scene you. I do want to look away, and it's it's extremely, extremely uncomfortable. But when I was looking up the air date of this episode and doing some some of the the pre stuff for the notes, um, there's a still from that scene on the uh, the Madman Wiki, and out of context, the way it's it's posed and shot as just a still image versus how it plays in context. Um, in the episode Mm -hmm. are two very different pictures. Um, And it's almost too bad that that's the case, right? Like, I don't know. It's definitely uncomfortable. Like, obviously there's more to it because, like, he's basically threatening her. Um, but the way he treats her in that hallway scene is reminiscent of the way that she treated him in the car, at least. Um, this type of, like, forceful sexual contact or, like, faux force, like, has already been established in their short relationship. And so, like, I feel a little bit better about that, maybe. But only just barely. <laughs> mm. I mean, I feel really bad about it in both cases. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. we talk so much. Oh, well, and mostly when we talk about sexual assault, we're talking about um, male on female sexual assault. But, mm-hmm. like, if we would have seen that scene in the car and it was, like, a man being, like, or a girl being, like, I don't want this. And the man being, like, oh, well, I felt in your panties and yes, you do. Like, no, 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 that's rape. Yeah, I'm like it is in this instance too, but I, you know, 
Yes, that is also a very good point. And something, it is something that kind of gets erased. And Don's not very good with being a person who feels weaker as in whatever context. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel worse about the car scene because Don straight up says, like, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, like, you have to remember that, like, they are doing, like, a power play in this. And so that makes, obviously, sexual dynamics very complicated, like, when they're at this dinner. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's bad. It's gross. We don't like it. We don't like it. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I, this wasn't really as, I don't know why this was in the kind of, the culture, I don't think it was really a thing in 1962, but like, even if there was like a scene or even something about like enthusiastic consent where it's like, this is our thing and we're both into it and talk, like then that would make me maybe, yeah. I mean, just take the whole like, you know, l- morality of you know or 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 not with the whole like you know affair thing out of it but like even just where they like explicitly like talk that hey we're both into this and let like that was i think what we're supposed to kind of read into it but without it being kind of explicit and textual it's open Mm -hmm. to interpretation and that's where i think some of my uncomfortable kind of uncomfortable read while while watching can kind of come in okay so the only thing we really have left to talk about um, with Don is that last shot of the episode, which we already kind of talked about it um, during our, our Betty conversation where she, you know, she cries. She says, this is what I wanted to be part of your life. Um, he is really, like, sweet with her at that point. He just, like, she, like, cuddles up. He doesn't, like... Say- such a low fucking bar for Don. Like, it's <laughs> weird as he literally just not respond. Who knows? Um, but I did notice throughout this episode that, like, Don, she gives him this watch and has it monogrammed. And, like, when they're sitting at the kitchen table, he's, like, looking at this watch and, like, at his wife and kids, like, kind of forlornly and, like, just generally feeling shitty. And I'm like, good, you should feel shitty. And I kind of thought, like, um, in the car ride home after Betty was crying and she, like, cuddles up under his arm, like, I kind of feel like he maybe feels shitty in that scene, too. And I'm like, I mean, that's the least this minuscule amount of progress, I guess. There is, like, a tenderness. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, there is, like, a tenderness in him, like, immediately as soon as he realizes that Betty is crying and he's not entirely sure why. And he probably knows deep down inside that what whether it's good crying or bad crying, he knows that he's to blame. Yeah. Uh, I, he's probably just fucking relieved, too. Yeah. Jesus Christ, I thought she knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. Don seems to be fairly aware of his shittiness in this episode and appreciative of what he still has. But at the same time, that doesn't stop him from making any bad moves. Yeah. I mean, this episode is pairing, like, the smallest amount of maybe emotional growth for Don feeling like shit about betraying his family, but also still doing the worst shit. Ugh, Don. Something else I'm kind of looking for and watching, too, and again, I I know I mentioned Bobby's quote about the phone call about being being bad and then going home and and being good. 
Um, I do believe that Don's feeling bad in that last scene as he is at the dinner table earlier, but the only person whose forgiveness he feels like he needs is probably his own. And once he can, like, enough time passes or, like, I don't know if he, like, forgives himself because, I th- you know, I don't think he's, that's necessarily his bag. But, like, the further distance he seems to get from whatever makes him feel bad or makes him feel contrite in whatever form, then it's okay because it's in the past. What That's obviously not really how it works, but, you know, he'll he'll be bad, he'll feel bad, but then he'll get over it. As long as he doesn't tell anyone about, like, you know what I mean? So, it's his how usual long cycle. can he keep up that facade? Totally. And how long can that cycle perpetuate itself? I don't know. Hopefully not seven seasons, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, half the time he does seem to buy his own hype, doesn't he? Uh, speaking of hype, there is one part I did want to mention when he's talking to Bobby at that fake bar scene on set. And he's talking about insulting their benefactors. And he refers to the shillings as Jimmy's patrons, like the Medicis of Florence are patrons of his art. And I just remember thinking, that is the loftiest freaking thing you could have possibly have said. This is literally an ad for nuts. <laughs> but in my mind... is shoving his face into a bag of potato chips. Literally nuts. But I think it's that small moment is just very telling about how Don sees himself he sees you know we've talked about him being the knight so many times before he just thinks he's such a he's doing this noble thing he's selling bullshit to people but he thinks he's basically creating art and he's helping people create art and doing something amazing and changing the world and that justifies all the crap that he pulls at work and whatever and all the stress and burden he feels and it's like dude just chill. Just chill. In conclusion, Don. Still Don. <sighs> do we want to do bits and bobs? Bits sure. and bobs. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. So we didn't have a, a lot of Peggy this week, um, but I did want to shout out one of the things that stuck with me from, from the episode, which was a, a Peggy moment, and Elizabeth Moss is also doing... Some great work, as usual. It's during the, uh, they're showing a clip from the scene of the, the Defenders, which is the show that's doing the abortion storyline where they can get, uh, Harry can prove his medal. And they're talking about unwanted, the episode is talking about, the episode within the episode, well, to be clear, um, is talking about unwanted pregnancies and how could you have this happen to you and blah, 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 blah. And the camera just, like, pan, looks over, like, over to to Peggy and just the things that Moss is doing with like these really subtle looks that no one else in the room is noticing, but the, we're obviously noticing because it's on the camera was some some really powerful stuff. So I wanted to to give Elizabeth because you know we're on a first name basis um, some props for that. Um, the other thing I kind of or one of the other things I kind of had was. The, the Defenders was a real TV show. There was a real, a real 1962 episode titled The Benefactor. So the tame, same title as this episode of Mad Men that um, deals with the, the abortion storyline and its real-life advertisers did refuse to sponsor the episode. And the episode only aired after a last-minute sponsor was found. And then 
one of my other last points was January Jones came up with that my people are Nordic response <laughs> to not James Spader <laughs> herself, which I thought was was also pretty dang it's good. A perfect line. Uh, so much credit for January Jones, really, who, again, we did not appreciate in her time. He did. Yeah. Uh, one other moment I did like, just poor freaking Lois. Poor Lois. Tried so hard. Really wasn't a secretary. And I know we were trying to protect her and everything about Dawn being too hard on her. But at some point, she does announce that uh, she does tell Mr. Draper that Mr. Sterling and Ben Cosgrove are here to see you. Ben Cosgrove. Don like, literally just pu- pushes it in. No. Ten. <laughs> no. Lois, you tried. Go where it's safer. They can't yell at you and like yell at you at your face in the switchboard. And then I guess too, just to, to go on a bit of another diatribe that hey, it's me. Recently I was listening to the Wild Pretty Things podcast and hey. They brief. What's that? Nothing. It's a high voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were recently discussing. Uh, is it the Good Girls? Is that the show that? Um, yes, Andrew yeah. Andrews is on right now. And Melissa, you made the point about <clears throat> Christina Hendricks' love interest in that show being like eight or ten years younger than yeah. her, which I think was good and and nice to see on screen and Bobby definitely in, in this episode read a little bit older to me than Dawn so I I looked it up and the actress Melinda McGraw who plays Bobby Barrett is about eight years older than than John Hamm and again it's, it's a uh, complicated affair which as we we've, we've talked about but again it, it is kind of nice to see kind of that inverse of what we often see on screen when we see it so I did want to kind of comment on that yeah that's awesome um, I started thinking about that in the first place from discussions surrounding The Witcher in which um, Henry Cavill's love interest is played by an actress who is significantly younger than him. Mm. Which is why I even started like thinking about that and then the disparity between uh, really young women playing the love interests of much older gentlemen on film. So then, yeah, now we have these two cool examples of uh, the other way around. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. And less creepy. Partially because John Hamm was like in his 30s at the time. How old was January Jones at the time? Do we know? I want to say like I'm 20s. I'm sure we do. We can find it out. <laughs> we have the technology. <laughs> but okay, so she wasn't like 18. No. No, she was born in 78. That was 2008, John 2006. Hamm. So like 28. So, yeah, so John Hamm was... Yeah, so John Hamm was born in 71, and January Jones was born in 78. That is a fairly reasonable... That's actually fairly accurate, I think, to the show. Uh, one more thing I did forget, and I put it in the little notes that I was going to mention. Cause someone... I forget, even I think it was Don who referred to Cosgrove and Freddie as Leopold and Loeb. Leopold and Loeb, not the most common reference people make nowadays, but back then, maybe a little bit more often they did. They were a pair of murderers who tried to... Uh, who tried to commit the quote-unquote perfect murder uh, or perfect crime and murdered a 14-year-old boy in Chicago. And this story, 
maybe a little gay or I'm projecting that I can't remember now uh also inspired Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope or play Rope which did ha was a very good movie starring oh what the fuck is his name uh I'll think of it whatever that guy which I've never seen, but also back in the uh, current popular culture discussion because it is an experiment in a single take film or a film to look like a single Jimmy take Stewart. film. Jimmy Stewart. Sorry. Like 1917. Yes, Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart playing this guy who's trying to figure out these two guys who think they've committed the perfect crime. Uh, and also uh, Murder by Numbers, which came out in 2002 starring Ryan Gosling and I think Michael Pitt and is also, I think... Sandra... Bullock yeah, I was gonna say that I think too, that's right? when Ryan and uh, Sandra Bullock first met up and started dating, and yeah. she is significantly yeah. older than he is. Mm -hmm. I remember those days. Yeah, I think we did it. Um, so until next time, Matt, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at at Mattyhugh M A T T Y H U G H. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, which I never really use, and Instagram at Pop Artery. You can also find me on my other show, The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K, uh, on my Jane Austen book club podcast. We are currently covering Pride and Prejudice. You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O Yellow. You can find me co-hosting the aforementioned Wild Pretty Things podcast. Uh, we just released an episode on... Birds of Prey, Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, no one knows. Um, and our next episode will most likely be a review of The Invisible Man starring one, Elizabeth Moss. Hey! Mm. Peg all these things together. <laughs> um, and you can find all of us together on Twitter or Instagram at StillGreatPod. And if you like the show, please rate and review it on the podcatching system of your choice. That would help more people find the show. Um, and we really appreciate it. All right. Well, bye. Bye, guys. Later days. Which brings me to midsummer, but we won't have to talk about that now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>